Hi everyone, Ollie here from the Read It, Roll It, Hold It podcast. Hope you're all well. Hope you're enjoying the sunshine and uh, playing some good golf. I've been fortunate to have a week off. I've been back home in West Wales. My best friend has uh, got married, so lots of drinks, lots of good times, which has been nice. And uh, lots of time with the family as well. Uh, the Open Championship starts today. That's quite exciting. Um, it's always a great event. The weather looks good. Ball's looking challenging, so I think it'll uh, be a great event as always. My money's on John Rahm, so uh, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on. Today's podcast is with two sort of legends, really. Nolan Gordon, I've known for quite a few years now. I've done the Yips course at the Belfry back in the day and um, stayed friends and, and in touch since. And we just have a really wonderful discussion around the uh, the Yips and that subject. It's it's one of the sort of worst things that can happen to you as a golfer, I think, apart from the shanks. I know people don't like to use those words, but let's be open here. Um, the yips is no fun. People give up the game because of it. And through their studies, one in four golfers have experienced the yips at some stage. So, yeah, they really go into it in some nice detail and, and give us some nice tips on how to overcome the yips in chipping and in putting. Even if you don't have the yips, they, they share some great sort of techniques that we can use to help us quieten our mind over the golf ball to, to play more carefree golf. So I hope you enjoy. Please do um, share and subscribe to the podcast. Share share the love. that will be awesome. I've also got a competition running on my social media channels uh, for the Open Championship. So have a quick go on that. That'll be really good. Enjoy the podcast and uh, speak to you all soon. You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to the uh, next episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Today, we've got two guests on the show. It's the first time I've... uh, interviewed two guys at the same time we've got gordon morrison and we've got noel russo on the uh, show welcome gents hi thank you good to be here thank you very much for uh, joining us looking forward to a uh, conversation today all about the yips just the, like a little bit of sort of information perhaps for the uh, for the listeners to start with can you both give us like a bit of a um, a rundown of your sort of journey really around studying the yips and um, the sort of research you've done in the last 10 years or so? Yeah, I've been uh, studying it officially since 2014 in a PhD study, but it's taking a while to, to bring it all together. Um, and I mean, I've been a full-time coach since 2001, PGA professional, um, did my master's in uh, in sports psychology, and that, that's where I kind of started to read the papers about the yips. That That's when that happened. But I I already had the yips myself in my handwriting, which was, you know, people laugh when they hear about it, but, you know, one in 3,000 people has, it's quite rare, obviously, one in 3,000 people has this handwriting, uh, focal dystonia is the proper term, like a neurological thing where, you know, I was just writing one day and it happened suddenly, I was just, I I do a bit of work for the PGA and I was marking assignments by hand as we did back then, about 2006, I reckon. And my hand just wouldn't move, which is something that you associate with the yips, like freezing. And then uh, when it did move, it was, I was trying to write a lowercase e, and I'm left-handed, and it just, I, I sort of scribbled, and it went off the page, and I thought, oh, that was a bit weird. What was that? 
I got the tipex out and, and uh, had another go and it was the same sort of thing. My hand was trembling and, and from that minute on, I, I had this issue. I mean, I've overcome it a little bit by like with putting yips, you know, um, adjusting my grip on the pen and, and uh, some relaxation of the muscles get very tense. But so I had it myself in, in another domain and, and I thought, what is it? And I want to find out as much as I can about it. And uh, it went from that though into obviously I'd seen it in golf. Uh, you know, not not that many, but uh, a few lessons had come along and I'm scratching my head thinking, what the hell do I do with this? You know, um, so that that sparked my interest. And then from there, I decided to to do a PhD and, and to study it in, in, a, in a deep manner because nobody has. Nobody really has for golf, particularly treatments. So, yeah, that, that's that's my 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 uh, I suppose how it's all evolved. That's fascinating with the uh, the handwriting. I've not heard of that or seen anyone yip the yeah. yip the pen. It, it's common, less common these days because we don't do much by hand anymore, like handwriting. But I'm I'm informed by people who still study it that in somewhere like India, for example, they they still do a lot of their admin and that by hand. Uh, so a lot of the, they, these guys from Newcastle University they go out there to India to study these guys with writer's cramp and investigate among other things like the effect of um, imagery and uh, devices that can put on the brain to sort of um, retrain them. Uh, motor retuning, I think is the right term. I can talk about that a little bit later on, but so it's not that common anymore, but certainly it's an overuse syndrome. Okay. That, that's what that's what I was told. And, uh, you know, so I did so much writing and I was never good with good at writing and been left handed. You're trying not to smudge all the time, little awkwardness there. And then suddenly I have this problem. Interesting. That's, that's interesting. That last bit there, Gordon, just just catching that. So there was a slight yeah. awkwardness initially with the left handedness and trying not to smudge. Yeah. Which then eventually manifested itself in, in this, this syndrome. Yep. I'd say, uh, you know, what I was trying to do was do it better. I was trying uh, to write better. You know, even in school, you know, if you're a left-hander, your, your teacher in school, well, my age, I'm nearly 50, the teacher would say, is there any chance you could switch to right-handed, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, so I, I didn't, but, you know, we used fountain pens at one stage. It's going to sound really old-fashioned, but in Ireland, in primary school, they made us learn to write with fountain pens. And I had to kind of raise my hand off the, I'm gesticulating here, but I had to raise my hand off the, the wet ink, if you like, to, to avoid smudging as I went along. And, and I think, you know, maybe there's a bit of an analogy to golf there where people try not to miss putts or, you know, practice overly, trying to control the parameters very finely. Like yeah. professionals in particular. So in that in that writing, um, so you saying you were you were you know encouraged to write better. So would you say you were sort of consciously involved in your action and and kind of finally with a slight sort of um, mindset of judgment the whole time? So always sort of working out whether you're doing it right or not. Yeah, I'd say constantly, uh, and it's interesting. I haven't really thought about it this way before, but uh, I would say not to the point where I was trying to control my hand. Mm -hmm. You know, I was definitely trying to control the letters. So it was, you know, external focus, if, if you like. I think that yeah. might be where you're going with it. Um, and yeah, just over the years, it just apparently when, if you do enough of it, if you're prone to it, you could, it can just backfire. Your brain backfires. And that's how it is, really. I can show you guys that if I, when I try and close my finger down on the pen to write with it, it often goes the other way. You know, so instead of my, my, yeah. my index finger, going down to sort of pressurize the pencil that I can use it, it goes the other way and just comes off it. 
and I can drop <laughs> things. And so it's a bit weird, but it's only my handwriting. It doesn't affect my golf or. So one, one would think that there's most definitely a link there between the, the left handedness and the sort of strive to get better and sort of continual sort of judgment on your writing. I, I would think that's that's somehow uh, linked to the to the the writing yips. I mean, yeah, well, it definitely whereas, whereas my handwriting is absolutely awful and I've kind of fairly acceptant of it and just get on yeah. with it. Whereas you were more. Yeah, I tried. Especially, and it was signing checks was the hardest thing. And that, that might sound like a great excuse at the time for not <laughs> paying your bills, but I, I tore up five or six in a row one day. And it was a friend of mine I owed some money to, and he was standing there, and that didn't make it any better. <laughs> yeah, and, pressure. And I, just, I have to do something about this. But I, I basically self-medicated myself by, by, by trying to understand the physics of the problem a bit better, like the biomechanics of the problem. A bit like, you know, in the way that with putting yips, a lot of guys go to the claw. I, I went to a different kind of grip, only use certain kinds of pens, and I can get by. It's better than it was. Really interesting uh, topic. Being left-handed, I certainly sort of feel your pain as in, like, if you're using a fountain pen, a normal pen, you're fine, you just, you just write. And then a mm -hmm. fountain pen, you've got to raise your hand off the page, and then it's a bit like... Yes. It's a bit, your hands, it's a new skill, right? It's a bit like, ooh, it's a yeah. bit difficult to do. Everything's anti-left-hander, like checkbooks, the whole lot, aren't they? My bank at one stage did a left-handed checkbook. That was magic. Did they? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> you but, must be joking. No. <laughs> no, they did. Uh, left-handed checkbooks and, yeah, it was a lot easier. Wow, interesting. Noel, tell us about your uh, journey. My my first exposure with the yips was as a as a teenager, you know, working hard to 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 get my handicap down and turn pro, and uh, and I I definitely had a, had a case of the yips, and um and and back then I knew that playing around with my attention and where I placed my attention um had an enormous effect and almost kind of inoculated me to 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 those kind of duffs and thins that I, I was getting. I don't know how far down the, the line of yippiness I was, but there was definitely a real anxiety and and um and you know that sort of beginnings of a yippy motion but um as i say even as a teenager teenager i i noticed that the more i, I really kind of focused on the ball the worse it got and, and playing around with loosening attention and putting it in different places um in particular under pressure made a real difference and that that carried on through my through my coaching so i've been a, a full-time coach for for 20 years now and i've always been interested in in the mind and move in movement and that link and and throughout that period um been keen to work with with chipping not just from the sort of mechanical standpoint but but where people's um place their attention and, and the effect it has so always been exploring and that kind of led to um a bit of a specialism in in, in, in working with the yips and throughout that period there was um i did a phd in um motor learning and in and specifically in automaticity so that's the, the how much you're thinking about your movement um elements in a way that um, I'm sure your listeners are probably aware, most sports psychologists would would tell you to you know do not think about your swing and particularly under pressure, do not think about your swing. Um, so that was my that was my sort of eight year study on how much um, and where we place our attention and, and how much conscious control of our movement is is useful or, or not. That's that's probably a different a different podcast, but that was obviously closely linked to to, to yipping um, the the amounts of conscious control. So then I really wanted to kind of take this kind of yips situation forward. I knew I was sort of making ground, but um, you know, clearly no way to, to fully understanding it. Um, 
Um, so I, um, I, I got in contact with, with Gordon. I, I knew his PhD was in the YIPS and we, we had some fabulous um, conversations where we, we, we really sort of agreed some, some common ground through our collective experience. And then we put together a, um, a training course for PGA, PGA coaches, which I think is how, how we met, wasn't it, Ollie? Absolutely, yeah. I think I was three or four years ago at the Belfry. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, more than anything, I mean, we, Gordon and I would be the first to admit we definitely do not have all the answers and would never say we have the cure for the yips. And, and anyone who claims to have the cure for the yips, I would, um, I would steer clear of, frankly. Um, just the mere sentiment is, is, um, is a bit off-putting. But... Um, it's yeah, really we interesting. Sorry. Our, our, our goal with that really was that just, just the thought of having a yipper in front of you uh, as a coach is such a, it can be, I mean, if you, if you only work from a technical standpoint, can be such a frustrating, difficult thing because go, golf coaches generally are, are, are good people and they're obviously really, really trying to help. And if, if your only toolbox is technique in that situation, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's very, very uncomfortable. And you obviously feel, have a sense of empathy for the person in front of you and, and just not being able to, to deal with it effectively. Um, as, as well as the more you go down that technical route, you're likely to make it make it worse in, in a lot of situations. Obviously technique and, and the mind are closely linked and it isn't just a mental thing, but equally, um, you know, we need to be addressing both. So, so that's where I am. And, and um, COVID's got in the way a little bit, but hopefully Gordon and I will, will continue our work on the, on the yips and, and sort of coaching coaches around the world and, and see if we can um, see if we can just you know understand a little bit more and I don't I don't think um, I mean obviously one would try and um, try and listen to the academic literature and what's going on in that world but I think it I think it's more from coaching and from doing it and experience that, that we learn the most that I don't we'll obviously talk about this in a, in a little bit I don't think the academic world is is anywhere near understanding this and I think they, they're going in a direction that's probably not that useful but dealing with the yips on a certainly a weekly basis i think i think we, we between us we'd probably um have a better handle on it yeah it's i'm just going back to that day um back at the belfry three four years ago when i when i joined you guys the reason i was there was um i'd had a, a gent come for me uh, come for a lesson and um chipping lesson and there he is yipping you can see these crazy movements mm. going on it's a bit like he gets like an electric shock just, just before impact and it's like his body just like does crazy thing so I was trying to help him <clears throat> excuse me trying to help him with his technique and then we're going like mental cues trying different things and one hour later I didn't help him at all and come to paying for the lesson I refused I said look I've not helped you here today I'll be honest I've got to swallow the pill and you know it was tough to take as a coach, but I don't mind admitting that I didn't help him. But I realized that, shit, I need to know more about this to help these guys, you know. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that probably happened a few times, um, you know, over the years. And it's happened since as well. Um, you know, there's not, um, I've had guys put in with the yips in both hands, which I'd like to talk about later on. But yeah, um, you know, so, who I haven't perhaps helped, but... Um, it, it was a fascinating day and I really learned a lot from you and I don't want to blow smoke, hot smoke up your ass here, but, um, you know, I'm, 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 I really enjoyed it and learned a lot from the day. So uh, that was uh, oh, fantastic. Thanks. Ollie. Great. Okay. Any PJ, any PJ pros listen, I think it's a must really, I think the, the, the course or what you guys talk about helps with the yip, but also there's techniques in there could get a bit deeper that you could help you could use those techniques for 
golf in general, just mm. to help quieten the mind over the ball, but also life, right? There's perhaps getting a bit deep, but there are techniques in there that we, you know, you life skills that you could be using for um to, to help life. But uh, what what, yeah. what I find fascinating with the yips is, um, you know, being having that sort of constant interest in the mind and the movement is, I think the yips is, is just at that complete extreme where you really see where, where the mind and movement um, the mind and body sort of break down and, and it's a real it's a really from a research point of view it's a really interesting um thing to to observe um there's obviously not, always that that connection on where your focus is and, and your movement but the, the yips you can really start to see it in a way that you know um at, at a lesser scale it's obviously going on as well when i see when i see general you know good, good players chip and chip well I, I often think is there is there an optimal focus here is there a place where we really should be having our attention to get that fluid controlled um, movement and strike and control of distance. Um, and as I say, when, when you see a yipper, you certainly see it done badly. And I think that's quite um, quite an education in itself. I think it's the, yes, it's I, th I think some of, the, some of the things we do and we talk about spill over into, into helping everybody, you know, in, in golf and improve all kinds of movement. Yeah, I'd say that uh, certainly a lot of the, the treatments that we, we work on with them, uh, Noel, people I think have to learn how to concentrate and that's that's to me the fascinating thing is that okay people do concentrate on things but they're often the wrong things mm. and it's the ability or they're focusing on the very intently but but on let's say negative things um but it's this ability to be able to concentrate even when you maybe suspect that something might go badly wrong you know to keep your mind on the uh the job as such and often you know because it's involuntary that's our take on anyway, isn't it? No, it's an involuntary movement. People aren't doing it on purpose. It kind of sneaks up on them. Kind of, like you said, Ollie, like uh, like um like an electric shock or something like that. It, it seems so from from our second lot of research that it happens just before the ball with uh, with the chipping. Anyway, the hands decide to just take a completely new path, and that can be up. It can be out, it, it, but just generally, and there doesn't seem to be much of a pattern that the hands just do their own thing. And uh, it looks like it's a ground evasive technique. You know, it, they're trying to avoid over, over hitting the ground. And in putting, it's the opposite. It's not that at all. It's, it's the rotational element. They're rotating the face. And, you know, both of those things, they are the last on, thing you on, want let me to just, do. Let me just stop you there. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a, I had a putting yipper uh, last week, and and, uh, and we, we spoke just very briefly prior to this. And he was yeah. um, he was strike evasive. He was um, topping everything, and because um, he was long putts, no long putts. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Didn't, didn't didn't even get near the hole. So I mean, completely, completely not. Yeah, completely unusual. Um, you know, from from most yippers. Um, just just was wor really worried about striking his putts to the point where he would go nowhere near the ground and just just flat top everything i mean that's rare i have exactly. seen it as well i had a guy the week. but um you know my take in it was that once i put him like 10 feet from the hole he he would have a looked like a putting stroke to me and it was yippy um and then i moved him like 35 feet from the hole or 40 feet from the hole maybe just slightly off the green and it was a different motion you know and that would be more typical wouldn't it yeah, my, my take on that is that they start to impose their chipping motion on the long putts. And and they do and I videoed a guy the other day, he did exactly the same thing as you'd expect in chip in the hand path, went a bit crazy, you know, the the putter, the, the club head 
does some weird stuff, particularly after impact, it goes well out to the right, usually. You know, so I could see this uh, disruption in the, the plane of his, his the, the movement. So I th my conclusion, rightly or wrongly, was that he was imposing his chipping motion to these long putts and therefore he'd, he would have strike problems. Interesting. How much, you, Noel, you mentioned putting to be rotation yips. What are, oh, rotation. What about acceleration yips? Is that something you see in putting as well? Oh, sorry, sorry. It was uh, that was Gordon who mentioned it as as rotation. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, one one would see a see a massive rhythm change, wouldn't we? Um, but um, and and yes, I mean, as part of the yips, it is clearly involuntary, and that's how we how we kind of start our you know our, our training sessions is kind of defining it. And and the big thing is it is involuntary. So telling somebody. Um, just needs to be smoother just sort of smoothly accelerate it's like hmm. you're kidding me i'm trying to of course i'm trying to smoothly accelerate you know and and, and people we gordon and i are normally sort of quite a long way down the line of coaches when a player has the yips um, they would see their local guy then they get really frustrated and see a high profile guy and pay a lot of money and then eventually they'd sort of look deeper and find the find their way to us and yeah and a lot of times coaches are telling them to be smoother um keep it you know Keep it more rhythmical, and obviously the involuntary element is, it, it, you know, it, it, it it's not smooth, and trying to be smooth isn't isn't going to create that. So, um, I don't I don't use any um, any measuring devices. I, I see you you both have have the Sam um, Putt Lab. I have a three D system which will measure, you know, the club and, and way more. But I, I don't I don't even bring it to to Yips. I think you're just you're just describing the scenery when you're when you're measuring that, and and you guys will, will probably disagree with that. But um, I, I don't think. I think understanding the forces and talks through the club in the yips is is probably a bit backwards. I think it's just there's just I don't think there is a one pattern. I think there's just it's such a such a noisy environment. Um, um, the yips it's just it's just it is just really noisy. There's all sorts of things going on and it's involuntary. So trying to kind of you know tell someone to be smoother uh, and do it this one way is probably not the right approach in my mind. Absolutely, and the the Sam Lab is actually it's a really good tool probably for the more advanced player or for the player who's not convinced he, there is something going on, then the Sam lab is really, really good because it's, it's as plain as the nose on your face. When you look at the rotational graphs on the, on the Sam lab, you can see the spike where the club face that was rotating, say, you know, fairly gently from closed to square and then to, sorry, from open to square and then into closed again, suddenly does a reversal of that and opens dramatically. And then closes again just as, as quickly, or, mm. or or does it the other way around? There's a pattern, and so and for so them, how I think, would you use that information, Gordon? Yeah, and I, I, like you know, I don't often use it. I haven't done it for a while, but I would just explain that that this is what it is. You know, you can see right at impact that you appear to be twisting the handle of the club, and you can, if you do it particularly with the dominant hand uh, in the testing with the Sam Lab, it's obvious, and it stops any debate that there's something strange going on because you can compare that maybe to the practice stroke data which i agree and uh you know even in chipping and i asked christian markwart the the inventor of the sam lab about chipping on it he says oh, oh, i don't know uh, and i said well I, i've tried it and actually if you if you do a really short chip on the sam lab you can see the yip in that you mm. can see how the handle does some where the hands are doing some weird stuff uh, i think i showed you guys maybe a video of that during the uh, the CPD course where, you know, it appears like they, they flex their wrists downwards towards the ball as if trying to like, like a tap with a hammer, as if they're trying to tap something into the ground with a hammer with their wrists really quickly. 
and then they recover and it, it does the opposite. So the SAM lab picks it up. You've got to be patient though, because it's not designed for chipping, is it? And, but sure. a really short chip with a guy who's got, or a woman who's got the chip and yips, you can see it on, on the SAM lab. So it's great. I'd be worried they would, uh, hit, they would hit my SAM putt lab. Yeah. <laughs> That's Lose happened. control. <laughs> Go on, I, no, have, yeah. I have seen, uh, and for anybody out there with the yips, and, and Gordon would, um, Gordon would, um, I'm, I'm sure, corroborate this. I have seen people fall over hitting hitting chip shots. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, scratch handicap players have, have this fantastic, very simple chipping action that scuffs the ground, and then and then miss the ball completely and fall over. And um, and and I and I, and I don't say that out of any amusement, but just just so if if you are if you are in in a situation where you have the yips, you know, it can get really really extreme, and it's um. It's a lot more common than one might think, isn't it, Gordon? What's your yeah. what, what are your numbers on that? That's right. I was just going to say that, Noel, that, you know, I had 600 people fill in an online questionnaire for me pretty quickly from a, a little article in Today's Golfer a few years back. And, you know, it seems like putting is the most prevalent in that about 70% of those people who came forward had putting yips, but 21% had chipping yips, but we had 32% with both. Mm -hmm. so it seems quite common 12 percent long game uh which is less common but more and more coming forward um so i think my so guess would be one in four golfers i'd say has something because you know my mother had it and i'm sure she won't listen to this podcast but she was in complete denial about it she was a good player chipping yips and in the end putting yips but just said oh, i'm no nah, i'm usually okay i'm just having a bad day yeah, but it's obvious there's something going on and or the guy who can't chip. You know, everybody has a, a guy in the four ball who can't chip. <laughs> and what does that mean? You know, he's got the yips and, and yeah. So it's common and it seems natural. Noel and I seem to agree that it's an attentional problem. And that, that may not necessarily be conscious attention either. We have a like a covert attention running all the time. And it to me it's a it's that system. It's the system that, that monitors stuff that we're not conscious of. It's the, the guy, if you like, pulling the strings at impact going, you know, almost like I detect something's wrong here. Uh, I'm going to take evasive action or I'm going to take drastic action here. And right at impact, the, the, the motor system seems to interfere with what's normally like a normally well-functioning movement pattern. And uh, that's when it happens. I think I think just knowing that one in four people have the yips, um, I think that's helpful in itself because, um, I mean, the first <laughs> psychology one hundred and one, you know, therapy is, is you would you would kind of humanize what's going on, and you know, someone's really anxious. Well, that you know, that's that's quite normal, which it is. You know, all these things are quite normal. But the yips, you know, once we realize that it is relatively common, and you know, and we're not we're not special, we're not some kind of oddball with it. I, I think that even just knowing that can go can go a long way. And um, and I think the attitude that one takes to it is um, is really important as well. We, we we've seen. Um, I mean, we we don't know this, but we have we have a hunch there's some kind of personality um, connection to this, in a way that um, perfectionists, would you say, Gordon, seem to seem to be more susceptible to have the yips. Seems seems to be that way. Although there had that has been studied, uh, just one study, and they didn't find anything significant because no. it has to rise into this unhealthy perfectionism, doesn't it, to, yeah. for that to be the case? And they, they didn't show that. But just like you say, Noel, about be, working in it week on week, you meet these people, and I'd say nine out of ten of them come, you know, really well dressed with nice new clubs, and interested in golf. 
that type of guy. And I've only had a few who've said, look, I don't really care about what I score. I don't even have a handicap, but I've got this problem. So they do exist too. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. Not as many of them. That's, that would be my, my, my a, lot of, uh, a lot of doctors and dentists. I see. Would that be wow. fair? I'm not sure, but certainly people that seem pretty smart. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there may, may be. Talking something about, about striving as well. I mean, people who really kind of strive and work, you know, work hard and have a lot that of sort of high working memory capacity um, combined with a perfectionist trait. There, there will be an interaction of some some key sort of mental constructs there for, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, occasionally we see it in other ways, but um, yeah. there, there does seem to be just experientially that that kind of connection with professional people, high working memory capacity, quite driven and I think I think that driven that driven nature backfires on us as well. Um, I think the, the more we drive and, and strive and try and improve, um, I think the worse that can that can get. And, and as I said to somebody recently, you know, you're, you're at the, the start of this this journey. Um, we need to really try and be playful with it and and kind of hold it lightly. If you if you take a really kind of driven, success orientated orientated mindset to this, it will drive you around the bend. Um, and a great phrase I heard recently, not related to golf, was it's too important to take seriously, which I think, I think kind of, kind of says it all, you know, we're not saying this isn't important by any way, but if you really kind of hold it too closely and make it your absolute mission to get rid of this, it is likely to get worse and worse and drive you around the bend. It needs, it needs a different approach. It needs an, an approach of um, playfulness and, and acceptance. Um, and, and yeah, to, to, to do everything you can, but as I say, be, be playful and, and hold, hold these, these things lightly and, and not take them on as your personal kind of concept. What's wrong with me? You know, why, why have I got this? All that kind of internal dialogue that, that is bound to come up, it's particularly when somebody is a very successful, driven person, all, all that stuff. Generally, I think yeah. it's a good time to maybe say that, you know, anxiety does make it worse or rising arousal levels. They seem to exacerbate the issues within the IPS, regardless of what you have it in. I mean, it exists in about 70, 80 different occupations and sports that I can, that I've seen in research, including dentistry and things like that and, and surgeons. Um, but I would say that's a definite. If you, if you're more anxious than normal or more aroused than normal, it's liable to be worse. You know, so my, almost your first step, as Noel says, is to, is to try and let's, let's reframe this a little bit. Let's bring the, anxiety levels down although admittedly if they've got the problem it's going to be there whether they're anxious or not i'm a, that's i'm a pretty firm believer in that people say oh well, i only yip uh, like on three footers in medals and i you know, that's definitely not right because when they come to see me they'll say well this is gonna be so hard for you you're not going to see it today and and you all you have to do is set up a little scenario the right way and and maybe get them to put a few times with their dominant hand and it's there for sure and it's not on three footers, it's on all footers. It's it's there. It's just they don't notice it. So but the anxiety would exacerbate it. So I don't buy it that it's 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 so much situation specific that it only happens under pressure. No, no you only notice it under pressure. Yeah. It's there. That's interesting. That's my take. And and interestingly, um getting 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 to the meat of the podcast, if, if you have, you know, if you have your listeners which are, are presumably more more putting orientated who have the yips. There's um there's some good news and bad news there, isn't there, Gordon? The, the, the chipping yips and the putting yips seem to be different, different um a, a different sort of intervention, a different approach from from the coach. Um, the bad news being um 
being that the some a lot of the attentional um techniques that we use and, and skills we, we that we bring to chipping that can work so well seem to have absolutely no effect on on putting and um and this came up in our, in our early conversations with gordon and we kind of shared the experience and, and and both agreed on you know some of the fabulous things that happen with chipping but why does it have no effect on on putting whatsoever so these these were, were conversations and um but the good news is um there's a much normally a much easier workaround with with putting do you, do you, want, do you want to share that um gordon yeah i mean I, I completely agree with you Noel. that it's it seems to be a different phenomenon that say go back to my handwriting problem that's a focal dystonia if you look up the mayo clinic website they give quite a lot of detail there on what they are and and putting seems to be that focal dystonia focal task specific dystonia to give it its full title and, and you can do nothing about it it's there you it's an probably an overuse syndrome they've just gone over the edge like my handwriting and you can't no attentional things seem to work do they Noel? i mean that we've, we've tried all the same stuff on putting that we have and it doesn't have any effect and, and so, i remember one one case in in particular which really describes this and and it was a it was a a, a client of mine is a fabulous chap um and he uh, he was really struggling with his chipping yips and we were trying these these kind of attentional things. This was a good number of years back now, before before we we, we ever met Gordon, and and we would try this exercise and that exercise. And, and then the guy said to me, "You know what? This stuff I don't I don't know if it's working, but the yip seems to go away if I just do this." <laughs> and, he, and he changed his grip. And oh my goodness, it was like he never had the yips. And this is this is someone who was missing the missing the hole by you know some inches from three foot. I mean, it was just you know it was a clearly blatant horrible yip. If, if I just put my hands on this way, it seems to go away. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe you should do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Part, part, part of part, something inside me was a little bit disappointed that my uh, my own brilliance that I was bringing to it made no no difference whatsoever, and his you know his cheap workaround um, was was actually what was required. So what what is that? What is that workaround, Gordon? Yeah, I mean, it, because it's it's a dominant hand problem, which is not the the issue with the chipping. It seems to be in both hands. Both hands are involved. So people can chip one handed no problem when they've got the chipping yips with their dominant hand, but they can't do that when they're putting. That's the acid test for the people listening. And I think this is important. There's a lot of players out there unaware that they've got them and you're far better off to know. You know, it's like being ill. The sooner you know, the better. So you're putting one handed probably from three feet just makes it easier to sort of uh, put a bit of maybe a little bit of pressure on. So it's easier to see it. You'll go around the hole with four balls from three feet. And, and just look for rotational sort of jerks. And, and you'll see them. A coach, if, if you go along with your coach, they'll definitely be able to see them. And if you know you've got them, then, well, there's two options there. If, it, if it's really mild, you can use a, a, a treatment called motor retuning, which Christian Marquant, the SAM inventor, he used. He worked with handwriting cramps, as I understand it, where you basically start from the smallest putt they can possibly do with one hand without yipping. And that might be an inch from the hole. And if that's, if you can't do it, if you're still jerking and people do jerk from an inch, um, then you would hold the ball still. So you would, I've got a, a golf ball with a, with a nail in it and I can sort of nail the ball into the green. And so I've driven a nail into this golf ball and then they can tap against that and they, they can do that. That seems like they can do it. And then the next step is to bring them an inch from the hole and see, can they do that? And just gradually build it back up and, I've had two young professionals who were very early days with it and that seemed to fix them. I was able to retune it. But then if it's quite severe, the claw and the saw grip, they are the two main. That would be the first thing I would do if it's, if it's mild, 
the, the claw usually works. If it's if it's severe, you have to go to the the saw, which is getting your like your elbow really out from your side, like your forearm is kind of uh, to to put. You've got to sort of seesaw your forearm towards the hole, so your arm is pointing at the hole. But and but, but the, the 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 basic thing there isn't isn't it is taking the dominant hand off the club. Yeah, well, I mean it's twisting. So if you put your dominant hand in a position where it can't twist, yeah, anymore, it'll try. And then it's only held lightly in the fingertips in, in that in that or in, in either the sort of pencil claw type grip or the or the saw, isn't it? So yep. it's really not imparting much control over the club, more a sort of rhythmical guide. But when, yep. when you yeah, take exactly. the dominant hand off the club, um, that would that would do the job for the vast majority of putting yips. Um, so never as, last as, long, a, as a coach or somebody with the yips, that is absolutely the first thing to do. You can save yourself yep. months, years of anguish and you know, and research and trying to work this out. Um absolutely the first thing to do with 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 um with putting at least absolutely and and i rarely see people for more than one session because they often say i've tried the claw i still yet but when you look at them it's quite severe and their their arm isn't at the right angle so if you go to the saw then mm. it completely immobilizes it's a very awkward they've That's got to lean over yeah. a bit more or the ghost right hand i call it where the left they, i teach them to put left-handed one-handed and then just they apply their right hand like it's on for the ride you know what I mean? It's not really touching the club. You'd have to look. It, it's just lightly sitting and has no input. And that works very effectively, too. So it's kind of, as Noel said, get the right, the dominant hand uh, out of the picture and learn to putt again. That's your probably your only option for most. And of course, we of course we see we see people use those grips um, on, on the tour all the time, don't we? Um, yeah. And, and, and there's obviously, a, you know, a. a um, there's a reason they do that and um and presumably around it's around letting the letting the club head flow more freely without too much input from us feeling the weight of the club letting it sort of take its natural arc and and, and the face stays more stable through through that process and i think a lot of chipping a lot, a lot of yips chipping and and putting isn't is a, an over control issue R really trying to steer it and guide it and of course the more anxiety that the more anxious we become and the more we see the face twisting, the more we, we tend to try and control it. Um, so, so giving up some of that control um, with, with that grip for a start is just fantastic. And I often say to people with, with, with the chipping yips, or even the chipping generally, I often ask them if they can tell me how much of the club's movement is, um, you know, the, the, the motion of the club as a percentage, how much is down to what you're doing at the end of the handle and how much is down to just the sort of momentum and flow of the head. And they'll often tell me, oh, it's 80, 80, 20, them, them controlling the movement or, or even higher. And immediately mm. they say that they don't, they don't need to ask me what's correct. They, they realize, oh, perhaps I'm, you know, perhaps I'm really trying to guide and steer and doing too much here. And then certainly with chipping, we, we do a lot of one arm swings and, you know, and, and as you know, there's a, you know, there's a, a tall pro who, who chips one handed. I mean, what's that, how does that work? Um, and of course it is all that giving up some of that unneeded control um, and actually feeling the flow of the club head again. So you've got that, that nice kind of synergy between the two. So that's quite a nice thing, thing to do is just ask yourself, you know, whether what's the percentage of, of you, you controlling the handle or the club head flowing. And I would certainly, I mean, the, the numbers are fairly arbitrary, but you certainly want the, want it in favor of the, the club head swinging freely, as opposed to, you know, you on the end really dictating what happens to the, to the club, in which case, apart from anything else, you are, you're going to be less coordinated and you'll be putting different torques and forces through the handle. Hi golfers. Sorry to interrupt. I know you're enjoying the podcast. Won't be a second. 
I just want to share with you one of our partners, Sick Golf. I'm very fortunate to have the uh, Sick Fitting system in the uh, hub down in Tickenham. It's 138 putters that we can assemble to make sure you've got the right putter for you. They're uh, beautifully made out of um, milled out of blocks of 303 steel. And the technology in the face, the DTL, the descending loft technology, is wonderful. It gives you a four degree window, always get the ball rolling well. We don't always you know, return the club back to the same position, but one thing's for sure is you'll always get a good roll with a sick putter. Other sort of key things is obviously it's used by Bryson DeChambeau, the scientists. He doesn't use things that don't work and he uses this putter because it, because it works and he loves it. So if you're interested in a fitting, give us a shout and um, come on down to the, uh, to the hub and let's get you fitted. Fantastic uh, conversation. That's quite event. counterintuitive, though. If you know, if the club feels like it's a, you know it's a wobbly snake, and we're asking people to to control it less, I mean that's that's that is counterintuitive, isn't it? And and that's that is the nature of the yips. The more you try and you know you, you know if you work at it in the wrong way, and the more you try and control it, the worse the worse it can get. Um, I've, got a, I've got a question back to you, Ollie, just to get your views. I mean, you you specialise in putting. Um, I've got my own views on this, but I'll ask you this first. Do you see any trends in putting yippers, like? a certain style of stroke or technique that you could say seems to be more yips uh, prone? I would say a poor concept would be, um, would be popular with yippers. Quite often if they're trying to control the face, again, that control of the trying to move it in a straight line, straight back, straight through concept, which in, it often sort of causes that, inverted arc that's going left um, where they've got to sort of you know hold the face open or twist the mm. face open I would say that would be common and also the acceleration yips of golfers believing that they should accelerate the club through the ball they have a very short and slow backswing through watching the club face not the ball and then to get any momentum they've got to accelerate through the ball um, does it then become a bit of a, a sort of a push motion Massively, yeah. yeah, and we see yeah. that a lot with a lot with chipping people. Again, absolutely, from that miscon uh, slight misconception that we need to be accelerating, and, and and then as you say, it becomes this sort of steery guidey push that continues to accelerate without any kind of deceleration after the strike. It has it's lost that pop? See that all the time with chipping, and and that would be one of the first things to do is understand rhythm in that aspect and how the club needs to needs to stop. And say with chipping, stop reasonably abruptly um, for, for yippers. You do not want to be continually accelerating and then it becomes just a push, doesn't it, rather than a strike. Mm. I had a I mean, guy chipping the other day and he his backswing was probably six inches. Right. And his follow-through finished, the club finished above his head. Yeah. <laughs> I can picture that and, yeah, totally... Um, yeah, totally see that. I see that all the time. We, I think some it. of that is they they try to evolve something to deal with the problem, don't they? I mean, I've had people say to me, "Oh, they're all, you know, chipping yippers are all so steep that that's the problem." But I think that's just a yipper's way of trying to get this ball first. They've evolved that like the ball's behind them in their stance. They've got their hands way ahead. They're just trying to do something. Yeah, contact. And with with putting yippers, I think it's it's the same. You know that that acceleration thing or. But it's funny you should talk about the straight line strokes and, you know, 
I know there's philosophies out there that, that promote that sort of thing, but to me, and, and the Sam Lab shows you, to do the straight line stroke, you, you got to manipulate the, the face a little bit. And I just think as a precursor to the yips, it, it does sound like a candidate, as opposed to say a stroke that's a bit more natural that does come in a little bit back to straight and in again. And there's so there's rotation in the face. I mean, there has to be rotation in the face. That that's that which is which is back to letting the club head have its natural flow, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. I mean, if I was going to say to people, and this is a question I'm often asked by coaches, what's your recommendations for not getting them? Now that's a really tough question. But mm -hmm. I would say two two things potentially, you know, don't overly try and make your stroke so straight, you know, have a little bit of an arc to it, allow the putter head to rotate a wee bit. Um, and don't stand there for hours trying to do overly fine drills, you know, and there are devices out there, which we won't name, that, that promote that and players stay on them for hours and hours and hours. And I'm thinking, wow, mm. because it is this sort of neurological type, yep, you're inviting it like my handwriting. The more I wrote, the closer I was to this breaking point. Yeah. And, so, and the more you wrote with that, with that slightly, um, slightly wagging finger in your mind, you know, telling you, am I doing this right? Am I not? Um, I think that combined with a slightly wonky technique is, is going down a dark, a dark even path. some really good techniques seem to just go pretty quickly in putting. They, they seem to go suddenly like my handwriting just went suddenly. Yeah. Um, so yeah interest, it, interestingly, um, um, Dr. Rob Neal did a study of some of the best putters on the, on the PGA tour. And he found that the, you'll be in, interested in this and Ollie, you, you probably are aware of this. He, he did a study and he, and this, this has such an impact on the way I, I see putting. I do so little stroke work with putting. I, I can't tell you. Um, he, um, and the study was, he, he found that the, the best putters on the PGA Tour had the most variability through impact. So they are self-organizing. When I say variability, we're talking about rotation of the forearms. So they are adapting the face back to impact. And we know that the face is, you know, has, has pretty much you know, dictates all of, all, the, all of the direction with putting, pretty much. Um, but they, you know, these players are, are making errors in their backswing and then, and then realigning the face at, at impact. Um, and, and a lot of players go down the route of really having this perfect robotic action. Um, and, and, and in that search for the perfect robotic action, I would imagine, um, as you say, Gordon, can take you down, down the line of over-control and, and yippiness. When in actual fact, um, we just need to align the face at impact. Yeah, absolutely. Might be, might be contentious. What do you think to that, Ollie, as a, as a putting coach? Um, yeah, it's um, it's really interesting you, you say that, Noel. I think like often when I test players on the Sam Putt Lab, I'll always test them on a straight putt, a left to right, and a right to left. So I'll never just do it in one environment. I always get them on three environments. Yeah, everyone, I'm always looking at the sort of what the what the trend is or what the pattern is, understanding their bias, and they certainly, you know, you'll certainly see that bias change. So. You know, on a straight putt, they may be aiming two degrees left and then pushing it into the hole. On a right to left, they might push it some more. On a left to right, they might yeah, pull it. So understanding the, the the blend and the pattern of those three and sort of self-organizing. Wow, I find, I find that fascinating. That, you know, there, there is a human being with a perceptual system at the end of it. And and most golfers, if, if they make those miss, let's say, let's say they push a, a, a they've got a left to right putt and they push it low. They'd go, they'd go back to doing some stroke work on a device and trying to improve their stroke. When in actual fact, as you say, that's more uh, a psychological situation and how they see the curve and how they've learned to deal with the curve. 
etc and and doing doing more stroke work and i'm all up for stroke work on a on a daily basis for a few minutes just to sort of recalibrate you know where, where straight is but um be, because you've pushed a left or right putt doesn't mean you've got a wonky stroke per se um mm. as you say you probably have patterns on left or right putts and, and the way you see curve etc I, I i i had a student who is a professional and he went and had a two-day putter fitting um Jesus. spent a thousand pounds on a putter um, I, I said, wow, two day. And he flew to a different country to do this, flew to, to Germany to do this. I said, wow, they must have looked at you from all different angles. And um, I mean, I was slightly curious how it took two days, but um, he said, no, no, we just, we just hit, we just hit six foot putts on a flat. You just hit six foot putts. And so you two days to fit a putter. So sure enough, we, we, we hit some six foot putts on the green and he was brilliant. And I put him around the, around the hole, absolutely hopeless. Um, so what, so what's going on on there? I said to him, he said, oh, my stroke, my stroke needs work. But yeah, man, we've, we've just we've just hit we've just hit like thirty putts on a straight line with 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 guys, and you hold every one, and the ball's rolling true. I put you on a curve, and yeah, I need more straight work. Hmm. Yeah, there's something there's something missing there, and I, and I think I think this idea of of a, a robotic stroke and, and not the human being on the end of it is is, is really held um, putters back, and uh, it was so encouraging to hear hear that when you do the sound putt lab um, analysis, you do it on different curves, and you see. How people, you know, control the putter differently on different curves. It's also I also will take them outside with the cap though. Then in in the in the wild, put them in on on a green, so we see different lengths and different pats as well, rather than just that closed environment inside. Do you, uh, do you, do you see yep. any patterns there, Ollie, with 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 how people control strokes on on different um different curves, or or is it was that just um sort of a personal trait? Yeah, I would say it's. It, it's very individual, isn't it? I wouldn't say you could sort of put some golfers in some categories there, I think. So it's not like left or right parts. Most people do X, open, shut the face, push it, pull it. It's it's just a personal thing, is it? I would say there's a pattern with, if you've got a push bias or a pull bias, if you've got a push bias, you aim left and then open the face, you're going to struggle more on left to rights than you would on right to left um, because purely you can't start the thing high enough. So people talk about eye dominance being like right-handed golfers prefer right to left. I think it's more because most golfers have a push bias. That's why yeah. they prefer right to left. Again, I am so, yeah, again, that's really, really, really encouraging to hear. I mean, if you, if you, if you have this bias going on, you're going to be self-organizing the whole, the whole time. Um, absolutely. And I, I spoke to um, a top guy in, in, in movement, a top professor the other day, um, and, you know, in, in perception and action. And we spoke about eye dominance and, and if there was any meaningful literature in that area, he, he would know it. Um, and he said, there's, there's, there's really nothing in it. Absolutely. And, and, and this whole yeah, idea of, of, of eye dominance and, and, and with putting, he was very skeptical. Um, then to your point, it's probably down to your, your patterns and how you're self-organizing around those, those patterns. Um, well, I think one of the one that uh, something something I try and bring to putters, I explain I explain the eye the eye goggles um, study um, of years back, and, and the study was that got, um, um, participants would wear upside down glasses. Um, so so you put these glasses on, and the and it literally turns the world upside down. Yeah. Um, so what you're seeing is now upside down, which you, you can imagine is just incredibly disorientating. You cannot you cannot move around. You can't do anything. Um, you, know, you can't function. But within Within a couple of days, things start to normalize and flip the right way. And within a week, you are, it is like you're not even wearing the glasses. That is, the, that is what goes on between your visual, your visual um, um, cues, all that visual information that comes in through the eyes, and then what the brain does to, to organize it. 
And then sure enough, you take the glasses off. It's, it's, it's horrible for a, for a day or two. And then the brain flips it all around and you're making sense of the world. So bring that into putting. Um, and and when, once you start seeing your ball, you know, missing right continuously, you are going to be, be, be thinking about it differently. You're going to be controlling the club differently. Um, I think it's just a fascinating study or shows you the, the, what, what goes on in our perceptual system. Absolutely. And I think the eye, this is maybe off the Ips topic, but maybe interesting to putting people is that there's a process between the eye and the brain called normalization, where we like to see things like, uh, the, like I'm looking at you guys straight on. I don't like to look at you with my head tilted to the side, for example. But your eye is designed to, well, not designed, it's evolved to, um, to adjust to these things. Yes, and completely. within five seconds, this normalization process starts to take place. So if, you're, if your eye is looking at a green that's slopey, you know, the longer you stare, the flatter it's going to look. That's a scientific fact as well, as I understand it. And you know, yeah. so you know, just in terms of reading putts and how that might link to, to what you're saying about the strokes, I would always say to a player, don't look for too long, look quickly. And, and people yeah. say, oh, yeah, my first read was probably the best. I, I think that's a great case for using the feet. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, you know, and because and, the eyes will, will fool you for sure. We came up in a study with pilots, like, could they shoot while the plane was banking, basically? You know, that, that was it's going back a long time. And they found that, uh, you know, the eye had this thing in it that, that adjusted things. It came through those studies, and within five seconds, what they were seeing wasn't, wasn't correct. The eye was just Adam, Adam Young did a, did a recent uh, did, did an interesting study. Um, it wasn't a scientific study, it was just a sort of an anecdotal thing. They got a bunch of golfers who um who misaimed the ball um and then and then asked them to you know and and, and then and then they hit their putts from like i don't know 20 feet and he marked out you know how close they were to the hole you know proximity to the hole and then he did the aiming for them he put them on the right line um aimed them for them and they got worse <laughs> they got worse when the aiming was done for them so clearly all they do to self-organize and work around their their crappy aim um you know uh is 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 a is a you know dynamical system and it works for them um so that for that reason it, why i would suggest a a a a, 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 um, a little bit of stroke work with, with devices or just canes or as much as possible just to keep retraining your eye back to straight because it doesn't take long as you, as you say gordon to start aim, aiming off and then pulling it aiming right and pulling it or vice versa and you get this situation and um it's not because you've got wonky eyes or wonky perceptual system you just need to sort of recalibrate where straight is so so for me, putting stroke work is more about recalibrating the eye as much as anything. Yep, interesting. Which, which interesting though, no matter what slope you put them on, they still yip, you know, so it seems, ah, right. yeah. it seems immune to, to all that stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's something in there that's, like I said, it's just a permanent change in the brain. That's what the neurologists would say. You know, you, you, the only way around this is an operation. And uh, so with, with, with putting it, or, or I mean, what's showing some fruit is is vivid vi imagery and how that affects plasticity in the brain. And a guy in the States has done quite well with a technique called solution focused imagery, which basically you, you'd sit down and visualize yourself putting, um, you know, well, and then going into a bit more detail. So it goes around in a loop with you, you sit down with somebody and you do these, answer these questions and you visualize yourself stroking the ball well, and you build on this day on day on day. And he, he showed that the, he reckons it's the plasticity in the brain from the visualizations, if they're vivid enough, starts to, depending on your philosophy, it starts to re, it, 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 it changes the brain. So the movement can be reversed. It can be set back if the, if the plasticity is there in the brain. 
but the, the imagery needs to be vivid. And I know the researchers in Newcastle use a, a device to, to excite the brain during these visualizations. For, this is for handwriting in Newcastle. So, you know, it, imagery is showing uh, promising signs, although the, the researcher in the States does admit to me that after a few weeks, the yips comes back and they've got to just commit to the imagery again. Well, I mean, if it's going to cure you of your, it's like staying fit, you know, you got to go to the gym. You got to keep up this this imagery, but you know why not? So that's an interesting take on it. I think the purely psych, well, psychological, motor control based approach. Fascinating, fascinating. Just I'm um, just coming back to you, Noel, saying the doing like the aim aim test and just sort of keep it on the short and narrow. Um, I, I would say that it's not just the aim. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I wouldn't say. It's just down to aim. So when I'm with a golfer and I understand their pattern, if they've got a push bias or a pull bias, so let's say they're, they're that guy who's aiming two degrees left and then push it on target. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to figure out, is it, you know, the chicken or the egg that yeah, completely. are they, are they, have they got an aim perception problem? So they're aiming left. So they have to push it or are they aiming their stroke? So they may be opening the club face too much in the backswing so they produce a close open face at impact. So they so they get pissed off missing right. So they start yeah, aiming left, That's right? It, yeah. So so I think it's always trying to find where that's happened. You know, is it which one is it? Are they aiming the stroke? Have they got an aim perception problem? And then I'll, I'll completely yeah no yeah yeah I wasn't I wasn't suggesting that the, the aim causes the causes causes the causes the push or it, yeah. it absolutely probably happens the other way around more often than not. Although aiming is strangely harder than than, than I think typically one might think. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you've got a push bias, you you are going to start aiming it left, aren't you? But again, Hopefully. just bringing bringing back, yeah, or miss a lot, right? But yeah, yeah, you wouldn't, you just wouldn't, you would you would start aiming left out of your awareness. Um, either way, you know, practicing on a straight line, you would soon learn to aim right and and control the face better. I mean, you you have to, otherwise you're going to you know, obviously keep hitting the canes, aren't you? So it sure. does bring bring them both in. Um, yeah, it is, it is. It is fascinating that interplay, and and then stuff, and and then then you add a bit of slope and a misread, um, and then there's a lot of variables going on. But sure, interestingly, yeah. and with better players, those variables all come down to um, stroke. Oh, I missed it again. What's wrong with my stroke? Um, and that always gets to blame. And 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 then, and then and then I take that player to a straight putt, and they hold twenty in a row. Right? Is it still your stroke? Really? Really? Is it still yeah. your stroke? And I think I think knowing. Um, knowing what your error is when you miss a putt is so powerful over time i i have a, a meshing theory where where you know you've got if you miss a putt you've got how many variables i mean there's 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 quite a few isn't there misread misalign mispace etc um but if if a lot of the times we miss we, we as i say we put it down to our stroke by the time we look up and we see the ball sort of going offline it seems to feel like a stroke error and i think good players blame their stroke far too often when totally agree. the other things that need to be they don't learn from their mistakes, Noel, is what I often see is, you know, golfers will stood over, stood over a five foot bat, miss it on the left and go, that was shit. And it's like, well, yes, but why? Absolutely. You know, yeah. it, well, did it start online? Did it break as you expected it to? How was the speed? They're the three variables it could be. Now, what I would say, though, going back to what Gordon was saying earlier, is what the mind, you know, what you see going back to visualization is if you see it go in, you believe it and then you can trust it. So there's almost like a fourth, you know, you could, you could almost, you know, what I'm trying to say is mentally you've got to commit to the shot, haven't you? Yeah. And if, 
by visualization or targeting strategies yeah. or you know picturing what you're going to do i think that's a crucial thing to commit in to to the pet and, that, and that's it so so and, and when when people do make a stroke error you know they do make it you know, have a genuine pull is that a case of going back going back to straight lines and just working on the stroke or did that stroke error come from um you know a complete lack of commitment and doubt in the line and and, and, and the voices and things that are that come up while you're standing over the putt i mean you know, we all know what that's like when, when we doubt the line and we remember our misses and being able to diffuse from from the voices in the head and just really commit to starting the thing online is such a such an important skill. Mm. Um, um, and knowing knowing how not to get hooked by those voices. Um, absolutely you know, brilliant. And, and one that I'm sure sports psychologists would, would work with. And I'm sure you work with your with your guys on dealing with those those doubts and voices that come up. Because that is be not a similar. That's, no, that's a mental that... error, isn't it? Would those techniques to quieten the mind be similar to techniques that you use for attention for the yips? Um, yeah, yes and no. So I mean, I would take, um, I would take. Um, so I just thinking how how far I want to get down that route. I would take a sort of mindfulness and acceptance approach to that. So so when where you are are, are training concentration through mindfulness drills. And you're starting to sort of recognize that your thoughts are just thoughts, really, and they're not actually you. Um, and it is possible to hold in your head while you're putting. Don't miss this left. Um, um, crikey, I'm a loser. I keep missing these. Um, somebody's watching. You can have all that in your head and strike the ball beautifully online and hold it. Um, so and, and that and that um, that skill is is. Um, uh, is what's called cognitive diffusion it's the ability to recognize thoughts as thoughts but stay focused on the task as opposed to a more traditional psychology which would suggest you have to think positively and be absolutely you know i'm a winner and i'm going to hold this part and any kind of thoughts other than that aren't going to work um the ability to have all that kind of junk going on in the background but stay focused and, and hold the part is, is is the area that are is the direction that i would go down in because your your mind is your mind is going to bring up all that stuff and especially under pressure so trying to battle it and fight it and get yourself in this perfect mindset is hugely unlikely and also hugely distracting. That's right. So that's, I mean, uh, that's an area um, that's coming more and more into sports psychology now and will be massive in golf over the next. Yeah. Um, I mean, as you get more anxious, there's a part of your brain that's supposed to deal with those negative. We're negative creatures. I think 75 percent of our thoughts are naturally negative. Right. But when anxiety goes through the roof, then those thoughts run riot. The, the part of your brain that's supposed to deal with them gets overwhelmed more or less. And so you can't deal with them. So I think that is a big part of the yips too, because you, you end up, you know, standing over that two footer going, what are my hands going to do this time? You know, or, or it's a chip, you know? So I, I tend to use with putting, it's the, the claw tends to quieten the thoughts because of the saw, because they start to see the ball go in and go, they realize, oh, this might not be so bad. And it's easier to diffuse those thoughts like Noel says, but in the, the, the chipping and that I tend to use dual tasks, which is a well-established sort of treatment in, in therapy for people who've been rehabilitated from injuries and so on, uh, where the commitment is to the second task. Okay, I'm going to chip this ball. Anything could happen, but I'll tell you what, I'll do this other thing. And what, What's you know, an like example for, of the other thing, Gordon? Yeah, like say, for example, counting backwards from 10 to 1 without missing a beat as you chip in your head or out loud. Out loud, preferably, because I can hear that myself as a coach. And you see with the yippers, they'll, they'll miss a beat. They will. They'll get to about, you know, wherever the ball is approaching, there'll be a gap. Say if I'm going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 
five. You, you'll hear it. There'll be a gap and they'll have to admit it if you're taping them. And the way I go around it then is to say, well, look, commit to me that you'll do this dual task faithfully. I know you can count backwards from 10 to one. You've got to trust that the chip in action will, will continue. Uh, and, you know, so you're forcing automatic processing, which is Noel's area of expertise. We differ slightly in our philosophies, but you know, certainly for chipping, we believe it's a breakdown of automatic processes. And that if, certainly for me, the dual tasking I've been using in my research, you know, if I, if I get a guy to whistle or count backwards or recite a telephone number, whatever it is, something I can listen in and, and judge how well he's done that, you know, like there was no gap in the numbers, for example, usually the, the better the second task, the better the quality movement is in the chipping. And I've got a pretty strong correlation in, you know, just anecdotally from my, my work with people. Um, so it's really about getting them to concentrate on this other thing, usually totally unrelated to golf, like counting, for example. Or what Noel suggests to me as well, which I th think is equally effective, depends on the person. He focuses them on, you know, what's the club going to do to the ground? You know, what's it supposed to do to the ground? Never mind the ball. Be faithful and get this club to. And Noel, that's your technique, more so. Yeah, that's, that's what one of one of a, a yep. sort of growing toolbox. Um, in, in particular, what's what's happening with the club at the end? I mean, obviously, how the with putting, uh, sorry, with chipping, how the club reacts to the uh, interacts with the ground is key. But also you know, directing a golfer's attention to after the ball um, is, uh, is is hugely impactful, but most definitely. And I, I, know, I, know, I know that Debbie Cruz, um, Professor Debbie, is it Professor or Dr. Dr. Debbie Cruz does a lot with that as well. So, you know, having your attention after, after the ball. And I can see how that would and could work with, with putting as well. Um, so, so impact becomes less, less sort of prioritized and it's more about, you know, um, just completing the stroke and getting to that end, end point. Um, and we know with, just very briefly while we're discussing it we know just just um experientially that that chippers if there's one thing that unites chippers chipping yip um golfers uh, you know, golfers with the, the experience chipping yips is that they all do it in different ways but they all focus intently on the ball um and, and as much as i can sort of diffuse from that and have them you know be less anxious and less focused on the ball the, the better uh, I don't know if that quite relates to to putting. Um, as I say, taking the right hand off seems to do the do the job so often. I I, I rarely go anywhere else with putting. Yeah, yeah. With the with the chipping, I mean, the, what I'm finding in the research is that because we can't instruct them in the research is that the, the, it's very hit and miss whether it helps them or not. The dual tasking. Some guys it really helps them uh, even during the task. When I'm, I've, I've not suggested it's going to help, I'm just saying we're testing it, uh, and then others get really lost, but. So you need to coach them as a kind of a, there's a, a few, a multi-pronged approach to it all. And if somebody's really struggling with the dual task, then I'll, I'll reduce it down. This is just motor learning theory, really reduce it down to the simplest task I can make it. I might even tee the ball up. I'll get them to make a very short stroke. A very slow stroke seems to really help them get started and at least chip or make contact with the ball a few times without yipping. And then build it back up from there, you know. So I, I use I use foam balls, Gordon. They seem to be yeah, yeah that sort of thing. Fun way of going about it. Yeah, some people it doesn't matter what you give them, they still yip, which is that yeah. that's very severe. But most people you'll find a place that they can, especially the slower stroke, and it might mean the ball contact's a bit weird, like you're kind of brushing it instead of hitting it really initially. But if they're able to make contact with the ball and not flinch or whatever it is that's happening when the yips happens, um, you can build it from there and then. But the dual task, you'll hear it getting interrupted. Like we still use, I still use some of the stuff from Timothy Galway's book, The Inner Game of Golf. 
you know, the, the humming, you'll hear if, if you got a chip and yipper and you're wondering, oh, I wonder, if I've got oh, the, wow. I wonder if he's got the chip and yips or she's got the chip and yips. Just get him to try and chip a ball and hum at the same time and you'll hear it. You'll hear hmm. the experience right at impact. So the motorbike. as a treatment and a, and a kind of a de- detection device. But what, 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 what I find interesting, what you said there is, 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 um, is all those exercises are, are a way in and they, and you build it from there. Those, those exercises are not the cure. They may be the cure for one person in a blue moon, but they are a way in that starts to soften the problem and starts to build that, that trust in the motion. So I would use all, all and every one of those, obviously not you're just randomly throwing stuff at the wall, but I'd be open to using all of those and just slowly sort of build that, build that trust that, that we don't need to over control and get too involved. And, and, and every time you sort of come back and you're softening that idea that I've, I have an, a big issue that I can't deal with, the, the better. And, and eventually you'll, you'll kind of probably settle on one or two things you, that you do out on the course. But I think golfers with the yips, um, are, are, are too often looking for the the solution, the the cure. Oh, if I think this way, it's done, and I'm never going to yip again. Well, you know that that's that is asking for asking for trouble. So there is a lot of stuff out there on YouTube, as as we all know. And and Noel and I don't believe there's a cure, but we do believe you can work with people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not well understood. Even these guys who study it for for a living in in universities will turn around and go, "Don't know." And I think, well, you don't know. There's nobody looking into this, but or, or or they'll inject Botox in your arm. Yeah, Botox works, but I mean, as you know, <laughs> no, we've got to go back. It doesn't last forever. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm so upset when I heard that. So so top top neurologists uh, would uh, who who work with focal dystonia, so people with you know just constantly cramped up muscles, um, you know, horrible yeah. sort of life affecting disorders. They bring these guys in to work with the yips and and do they they inject Botox into into muscles and. That's yeah, right. That, that. I'm a little it's uncomfortable true. with that. Yeah, no. Mad, madness. So especially when, especially when we know that a lot of the times uh, these things can be can be manageable with just a simple change of focus. I mean, so a lot of people that come to us with the yips will skip off that day, feeling like you know they've just made massive progress. I try not to let them, you know, think oh, I'm cured, but you know that is the sort of essence of it. Um, and it comes back, but they know how to manage it and. You know, a lot of people that come with the yips will, will leave like that. Some people it takes longer. Um, and some people are never cured, are they, Gordon? If, we, if we're honest, some, yeah. some seem to have what we'd call the, the type. So, so the, there's kind of two, two kind of types of the yips. There's the, there's the one which seems to be on a continuum of anxiety. Um, and you can see it sort of vaguely, um, slowly building up. And you see people who are generally just a bit sort of jerky and nervy. Well, that would be the beginnings of that type of anxiety, that type of yips. And that responds yeah, very like well to all the stuff yips, we do. And then, then, then there's the more neurological type, which is, I would say, incredibly rare. I've probably only seen a couple of cases where it just seems absolutely hardwired. Something is not firing right in the brain and anything and everything you do seems to... Um, in chipping, you mean, Noel? Yeah, in chipping in particular. Yeah, because plodding seems definitely to have all those traits of, like, they just can't do anything about it. Right, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Or whatever I, I, wonder, I wonder what, I wonder on that point, what a... Um, what, what a long-term program of mindfulness um, sort of meditation would, would do. Cause you know, that, that has been known to literally change structures in the brain and obviously make people far more aware of their, their thoughts and their feelings. So um, I, I know there's people sort of working on that area. Really uh, fascinating hearing uh, you talk, Jen. Thank you. Um, I'm just conscious of your time. I have just one last uh, question or advice for the listeners, right? That they, they've got the yips, let's say, well, what 
you know, what is your advice apart from what that we've just talked about the last hour, but what like one bit of advice would you give them to, to take away from this session today? Putting? Yeah, well, do you want to do, one of you do putting, one of you do chipping. Let's do that. Putting you on the spot. Yeah, I'll, I'll do putting then. I mean, it, it's because I think it worked a bit more with, with them. Uh, yeah. The grip change is the simple, as Noel said, I think quite a few times that the grip change, but you know, don't give up on, on the claw grip. You'll try it. I had a guy the other day and he'd both chip in on putting yips. And I said to him, let's go for the putting first. Just have a quick look, see if I can deal with it. I, I might be able to deal with it quickly. And I had a look at him, use the claw. Perfect. Yeah, but he hated it. Hmm. And I, I said, yep. Yeah, okay. I know it's uncomfortable. Um, I'm just, you know, emphasizing here. I can see that strokes yip free with the claw. I'm going to encourage you to use it. He says, oh, what do I do from further away? And, and all these conversations, I'm thinking, my God, I mean, you couldn't hit the hole like a barn door with a banjo there five minutes ago. And now you're saying it feels uncomfortable, even though they're all going in. So, you know, stick with it. Don't don't uh, judge it too quickly. You know, it's like learning to drive a car, or a left-hand drive car or something. You'll hate it the first day. Yeah, but you'll get used to it. You get used to looking at roundabouts in a different way or whatever it is when you're driving. Um, so stick with it. And if it's really severe and the claw doesn't work, go to the saw. And if you don't like either of those, just get your right hand. Pretend it's on the club, but it's really not properly on the club. I think I think that would be my my advice, certainly for putting. Really interesting, Gordon. I had a, uh, a gent come to me, yipping, found it in his right arm, put him into the uh, claw. Show, this is why I use the, the Sam Pet Lab 4 Null is to, to, to prove that it's better through the yeah. acceleration uh, acceleration rotation graph. So you can see where which hand it's in and then how you've improved that. Um, so he was chaffed, all that. Uh, you know, obviously said to him, it's going to take a long time to, it's a new skill to, especially on speed. Like, you know, straight away, I think you're going to improve on the short pets, but the long pets will take a while because you're going to move very differently. So anyway, he went away, he played two days later, sent me a text saying, had my worst putting day ever, three putted five times, what do you advise? I said, please stick with it. I promise you this is the right thing. It's a new skill, it'll take time. See you in, you know, see you in your lesson in three weeks. Anyway, so I sent that, I had to be honest with myself, right? I'm not gonna, anyway, so he, come, he, he messaged um, a week before his lesson, please cancel. I don't want to have any more lessons with you. And I thought, you know, I've just got to be honest myself as a coach. And I know what I know today that is the best sort of best thing I can do. And you can't always help everyone, but Ollie, that's, that's so, that's so tough to hear. And, and, and we would, you know, we, as, as, as an experienced coach, we would all um, empathize and, and, and relate to that situation. And, um, and that is the shortcomings of, uh, of that student in a, you know, in, in, in a nice way. What, one of the things I would do, I have um, something called the um, Sports Lifeline um, sort of journey. And I, would, I, I literally have this printed out in my studio and it's a map of the, 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 the kind of journey that we're, we're going on and all the sort of thoughts and uncomfortable situations that are likely to come up and how you're going to deal with them. And this is sort of this pathway to you getting better. And then, and then there's the, and then there's the, just helping the player notice when, when they catch behaviors, which are for the short term benefit, like feeling good, feeling more comfortable and, and just help them notice that when they take those, those journeys, Oh, this feels better. This feels nicer. It literally takes them off that pathway to getting better and takes them, you know, ultimately 
right back to the beginning and in that circle. And I would imagine that player would still be struggling with it. So sort of preempting that and sort of, you know, taking the player, it only takes five, five minutes, taking the player in advance um, through what is likely to happen and have them commit to a, to a process, um, you know, is a, I, in fact, in fact I'll, I'll send you it. I'll send you the sports life. And I think that is well, well worth any coach having, because we know that any kind of change in technique is difficult. And then mm. it's always easy to go back, isn't it? And and and, and what are what, what are our values around this? And are we really committed to seeing this seeing this through? Um, sure. Back to your point, though, chipping. Um, yeah, chipping. I don't think there's any. Thank any you for that, Noel. Noel. Just before before you do that, Noel, I think I, I totally endorse what you said there. And that, that's tough on on Ollie. And I've had that happen to me as well. But I've, I've got a bit stricter these days with when people ring me up and say I want to come and see you about the yips. I'll say, let me just tell you a few things first. And I'll say, look, it's minimum four sessions. This is not a, and, and just weed them out early on. If they're going to be somebody who's not committed to it, then I don't want to see them. Hmm. Um, and, you know, in that case, that guy, you know, he's gone back into competition so quickly. Is he crazy? You know, there's got to be some steps, as Noel said, agreed there that, you know, there's got to be a re-automation of this new method. It's got to be tested in practice under pressure, some kind of pressure simulations and that. So I follow steps like that where they have to show me good form first, like in front of me, like they're just putting with no, no drill or anything, just putting nicely or chipping nicely. Then I bring an element of competition in. Then I bring an element of golf-like stuff, like one ball stuff. And then tentatively onto the course and then into competition yeah to me they're they're this and that's the same for chipping it might help a little bit with the chipping as well you you can't just shove yourself in to the deep end and say i hope i'll swim um yeah i'm I'm sorry also i I totally see how you'd use the 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 sam lab in that regard and absolutely you know all for it i wasn't trying to sort of put down the use of the sam putt lab Um, no no i know that the idea that there is this robotic stroke obviously the the any anything that collects data like that used well can be hugely effective on the Sam Putt Lab, you can take the numbers off. No, it gives you like the percentages. Right. I, I, yeah. So you, I remove all them, so it doesn't try and make them into a robot. Yeah. Great. Right. Uh, chipping then. So yeah, I said I don't think there's one one fix, but um, over time, we there there is there are definitely some some common themes, and that is uh, looking at the ball. I mean, obviously, chipping yips is is largely down to an anxiety over contact. So so you know, one one would sort of naturally think more about the ball. And then we hear things like, you know, if you look at a dimple and you look at a part of the ball or the logo, you're going into into foveal, really focused vision, which is not not what good chippers do. Good good chippers have a have a broad awareness of the ball. They can see it, but they're not looking at it in a really focused way. It's a very loose, wide vision. Um, so I would I would definitely look at that. I, I would do peripheral vision exercises. So maybe stick stick two balls like two for either side of your ball and try and look at those at the same time, just to encourage that looser vision. That's quite a, a fun way of going about that, but definitely a looser focus on the ball makes a huge difference. And you want your mind more engaged in the fluid nature of the club. Uh, it's, it's contacting the ground massively, how you're, how you're getting the club to skid through the ground and in particular where you want the club to finish. And for that reason, I would train that kind of mindset with foam balls to have player hit, hit the foam balls and they can really tell how the club hits the ground when they're not striking a solid ball. And they mm. seem to be more engaged in what the club is doing and, and less engaged in trying to you know make sure that they get that strike, which is, is obviously a, an anxiety situation for, for chipping. Um, but it's a process and it can happen very quickly. It can, it can take time. But we, as I said earlier, you need to really be playful and hold it lightly and don't get into internal dialogue of what's wrong with me and self-comparisons and, and that kind of harsh judgment. Um, that, that's just not helpful at all. And when that stuff comes up, which it does, 
you just need to thank your mind for bringing that up and, and just get on with it and have some fun with it as, as best you can. Um, just don't get sort of go, go down those corridors of, uh, of harsh self-judgment. Brilliant. Thank you. That's and that, Ollie, is your life lesson. Advice. <laughs> it's a great life lesson. I've got, uh, Gordon, just got a question. I, every time you talk, Noel, Gordon is writing down and what i want to know is is he either practicing his handwriting or is he interested in what you're talking about <laughs> i had a couple of yips there i just tend to write notes i've got some notes on the the podcast obviously and just writing down what we're discussing and noel and i don't we're kind of complementary in our approach but we don't agree on everything so i tend to when he writes when he says something that i haven't heard him say before i tend to write it down Love we that. Can debate it later always learning in, in a healthy academic way not a uh, not not a not not a um, not a social media harsh. I mean, that's so unhelpful, isn't it? All that stuff. I don't do any of that um, in social media for that reason. It's yep. good. Yeah, we need to help each other, not slag each Absolutely. other off. That's for sure. Yeah. So, so um, just for if there's any like pros listening, what um, talk us through the sort of PJ course that I did um, up at the Belfry. Hopefully, we're allowed to do that maybe next year. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a it's, it's a one it's a one day course. Um, hopefully, um, um, with, with Gordon and I presenting, it, it's a it's um, it's a little bit of theory on, on movement and some of this stuff, and then and then we go out and we try it we try it all. And, and you know what, most of the golfers that are there are most of the pros are. I mean, we we we, we kind of asked at the beginning, you know, who who's experienced the yips, and most of the hands go up in the room. You know, there's a bit of me, me search that goes on. You know, people are are doing their research for their students, but it's, it's also to help them them out. I mean, it's such a common thing the yips, and if you are a coach, you are going to deal with it all the time, and and you may not even be realizing it when you're just seeing a, a sort of generally sort of slightly anxious looking stroke um action. Um, so it's it's fun. It's it's a uh, it's um it's obviously in um. A lot of information that, that comes across but you, you'll probably find you you take some of the things um into your your coaching in general uh highly practical 50, um, 50, isn't it practical versus theory i mean we have to go through some of the theory because i yeah. talked through a little bit of the, the research and what we found and we described the techniques for testing players you know so you can sort of say it's you can diagnose them if you like because that's missing in the literature you know it's the diagnosis for for to yeah. see do you have it or not yeah. what mm -hmm. is it because um, some people have severe choking I have guys come along and they don't have the yips at all they've just yeah. got severe you know performance breakdown due to increased anxiety so it's a different approach obviously for that player because they, they don't yip in oh, when they're not under pressure but it's not a yip it's just choking mm -hmm. severe choking so so the pga asked me just just last week do, do i want to, to to do some of this stuff um on online training you know until we're back to normal and, and gordon and i agree that's just not not the essence of, of our our delivery at all so hopefully next year we'll, we'll, we'll be back doing those and we tend to do one in the spring one in the autumn um yeah best 40 quid 42 pound i've ever spent i reckon gents you give me a lot of uh, you give me a lot of tools to, to go into my toolbox for you know helping golfers with um life and golf and putting and yips the goal. Um, the goal is for certainly for my phd the goal was to try and uh, you know disseminate the this uh, material into to coaches so they could help people at their club mm enjoy their yeah. golf a bit better because quite a few have given up you know i meet people who they've actually given up golf but they're they're willing to give something a try because it might get them back playing mm. destroy it destroys people doesn't it yeah. so hopefully we can yeah you know help golfers uh 
will play the game. So, gents, really enjoyed that conversation. Time flow by. Um, yeah, great, great. Thank you very much for uh, coming on to the show. And uh, yeah, we wish you all the best. Please continue as you, as you are. Brilliant. Thank, thanks, Ellie. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.